0: bus comes to a train station and stops. No, it doesn't do that. A bus stops at a bus station. And a train station, a train stops. My desk is a workstation. I didn't think you'd get that either. (laughs) How about your desk? Does work stop at your workstation? It's a new year, 2017. I got down and uh, sat down at my desk and I saw a lot of 2016 stuff piled up. (laughs) When you come into your uh, office or you sit down at your desk or when you wake up and you think about what you have to do for the day, doesn't uh, another set of priorities reach you? It does for me. I have this uh, application called Things, it took me a long time to to start actually to use it, but it just it's just a simple to-do list. It's a way of organizing your to-do's, and I love to check the box when it's done, right? And then you log completed, ah, log completed. Yeah, click that little button and they go away. And then the list shrinks up a little bit. It's, there's just something really satisfying, gratifying about that, right? Click that little log completed button, I love that. But every day that I, I come into work, and I know every day for you, you may set out with a, a to-do list in mind, here are the things I'd like to accomplish today, and then the inter- interruptions begin, and somebody else's list begins to impose its will on you. You have your list, and the world has its list. I remember uh, reading uh, about Peter Marshall, chaplain in the Senate, he was a pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church, and and he he uh, had strict rules guiding uh, the time that he had to, to spend studying, and and the time that he had in his office by himself. But he also had exceptions, and and he had somebody in there who was a volunteer who didn't know about his exceptions. He was somebody who was shitting off. Uh, who spontaneously just sort of dropped by the office, somebody who was going to be going away serving the country in a war zone, and, um, and he was blocked from being able to get in to see Peter Marshall. And when he found out, he ran after this young man, it pulled him into his office, and he said, Come visit for a while. It spent a couple of hours with him uh, in preparation for him going off and serving our country in the military. How do we approach a new year with the right priorities in mind? And more more specifically, how does prayer help us put first things first? You have your to-do list. You have your workstation where work stops. (laughs) That was the joke, people, all right? (laughs) The train stops, the bus stops, the workstations. You have the the interruptions and you have your priorities. How does prayer help us put first things first? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 22 verse 34 through 40. At the cusp, at the dawn of a new year, let's hit this reset button. I'm putting first things first prayer. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test it Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, recenter us. Reshape us. And release us for your priorities in a new year. In Jesus' name, amen. For the next four weeks, we're going to be going through Acts of Prayer. And Acts is an acronym that stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at those four postures in prayer adoring God what does it look like to adore God confession what's the role and purpose of confession Thanksgiving how do we live gratefully and supplication what are the things that we should actually expect through prayer today uh, and by the way you know when you think about this acronym acts if you're ever called upon it, it, to, to pray like you know somebody will spontaneously just say hey will you open us in prayer will you say a prayer will you pray for the meal will you do you know, and, you, and you, you maybe you freeze up, and you think, "Oh gosh, what am I supposed to say?" Uh, at the end of these four weeks, you will be equipped to pray in any occasion. This acronym is, is is a great way. It's not a formula, but it is a form that helps you walk through how to approach God in a way that's biblical, how to approach prayer in a way. That is, is, is helpful to the people who are listening to you, lead them in prayer. To, to begin with who God is, to adore Him, to, to celebrate Him, to name Him in, in the variety of ways that He has revealed Himself. To confess, to admit things that, that aren't quite right about ourselves. To, to give thanks for things and, and then to lift up concerns and requests. That is a way to march right through Simple prayer. We are going to be looking at uh, Martin Luther's uh, letter to a friend on on Wednesday and get more practical. But today we're asking the question, how does prayer, how does prayer help us put first things first? Especially when you're, you're thinking about adoration, this prayer of adoration. How does just simply approaching God, loving God, approaching Him in prayer, how does that help us put first things first? Especially as we approach a new year, 2017. Let's take a look at how how prayer re-centers our lives, how prayer reshapes us, and how prayer frees us up or releases us to do what is best and first and foremost daily and to be discerning about. First of all, prayer recenters us. It recenters our lives around the all-important who. And then who ain't you? It's to have your life, to have a center. The center of your life is is the heart of your life. It says, uh, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your cardia. The the word is is actually a, a metaphor, a heart. Heart represents the center part of your desire. The center of you. The most important part, the most identifying part of you as a human being is this metaphor for your heart. It's the driver of your life, it, it, it's what drives you. You know, we think all kinds of thoughts, but, but, but it's not until we really feel something deeply that we're motivated and driven, right? And so the central part of you is, is your identity, it's your deepest desire. And so to love God with all your heart is to have God, the identity of your life, centered upon God and God alone. You see, there's a problem when we, when, when we center upon another kind of who, a who besides the big who. Whenever we center something on something that, that, that it's not designed to be centered on, we begin to, to lose focus and lose shape and, and we borrow trouble for the future. Let me give you an example. Uh, when Beth and I uh, discovered that we were going to have instant family, we we uh, panicked and bought a whole bunch of books, and, and they didn't help much. <laughs> but one of the books that that did have some good advice for us uh, was Babywise. Uh, Ezos wrote this book. Now, now this book is also uh, the heart of some controversy because when, when whenever you adopt some kind of approach or, or parenting philosophy that's very rigid you get in some trouble. So I don't, I don't blame them for that, but I do know that across the country where they've applied some of this, in a rigid way, it's not been very healthy. But one of the things that, one of the principles that we learn through Baby Wise is all about what's at the center of your home, what's at the center of, of your family. And of course, it, 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 what's at the center of, of the person is, is the big who, right? You center your life around God. But I'm, I'm using an analogy about how you identify the relationships, the relational structure of your family. And the advice of the principal in Wise is that you don't have a child-centered home. That the home is centered around the marriage. And that the marriage continues to grow and be nourished. That the marriage as a relationship is a home. It defines the home and that children are a welcome part of that home and that you don't begin to shift the, the, the heart and center of your home onto soccer practice and ballet and piano. And even though a lot, there are seasons of life where that, that completely runs over you like a, like a Mack truck, you know, and the schedule of kids is just, you can't even keep up with it. Even though the demands of a growing family, present themselves daily as that list that intrudes. The marriage needs to continue to be nurtured and identify that home where children are welcome. A friend of ours, uh, Carla Hardin, she, uh, she's she got a little funny line about this. When, when, when she and, and her husband are... Uh, are spending time by themselves. Maybe they're having a, a, a date night, but they're staying at home. And they've told the kids, you know, we're going to be on the porch and we're spending some time together and, and you all need to stay where you are. You need to leave mom and dad to, to have some time together. Uh, and invariably, one of them will have some reason to, to come out and interrupt that time. And, she, and her line to them is this, you have entered enemy-occupied territory. <laughs> you know, Beth and I have had a little taste with, uh, with uh, the triplets off and, and just one, uh, one of our ducklings left in, in, in the house what, what, it, what it's like to have an, a, a, at least a little bit of a, a taste of what it will be like to have an empty nest. And, and, and it's a reminder that, that a marriage needs to continue be nurtured and invested in. You see, so this is an analogy to to the rest of your life centered upon God. When when you're not investing in that relationship, your relationship with God, when you're not spending time with God in prayer, you're centering, you're apt to begin to shift to the world's agenda for you, the intrusive to-do lists, and you begin to shift the identity of your life You begin to center it somewhere else. And anything else but God can and will eventually be taken away from you. Everything but God will perish. So your life needs to be centered. It needs to be centered upon the who. That's what it means to love God with all your heart. It means... To identify completely at the center of your life with God. You know, it's powerful. It's powerful to have this, uh, this clarity about what makes life uh, centered and have a clear identity. It makes me think of this, uh, this story about a guy who had lost his keys. He was in the parking lot and he lost his keys and uh, someone came along and, and saw him looking, uh, searching under a street light. And he said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm looking for my keys. He said, well, where, where did you last uh, have them? He said, well, over there uh, across uh, in the middle of the parking lot. He said, well, why are you looking for them here? He said, well, the light's much better over here. <laughs> you know, a lot of times we think that those concrete things that, that we're, uh, we're greeted with every day, that the world's to-do list. Those concrete, tangible parts of life make life meaningful. And so we pour and pour and pour and pour investment into those different parts of our lives. Because the light is better there. When what we can, what we can be assured of and what we need to remember. is that the place where we are found is the identity of every human being. And the identity of every human being is found in understanding who God is and who you are because He made you. And so the beginning of 2017 its so important. As we hit the reset button, as we look at what it means to have priorities and how we approach God in prayer to adore Him, just simply to say that we love God. We we don't just uh, believe He exists with the left side of our brain, with the right side of our brain, with all that we have, with the central part of us. We identify with God, and that that means we, we spend time with Him. We invest in Him. So easy. To overlook that, and just spend time on those things that demand our time. Recenter your life. Second, uh, when when you when you have this uh, this recentering on the who, the who begins to help you uh, understand your simple why. Now let me, understand, let, me, let me explain what I mean by, help you understand what I, what I mean by simple why. Your simple why. So you have the who, and that's pretty clear, I hope. And, and there's a, this idea of what your heart is and the center of your life and how defining that is, important that is to invest in. But your simple why, your simple why is your soul. You, the, the idea here is, and, and the picture that, that Scripture paints of the heart is the center of, The picture of the heart is the center of your life. The picture of the soul is the circumference of your life. The word for soul in this passage is psyche. And so the idea that that we are conscious, that the, the, the whole of our conscious experience as sentient beings, as human beings, as... As, uh, as beings created in the image and nature of God that that we are self-consciously we are self- aware and self-conscious that that life has been given to us and that, that that the day is presented to us that is the psyche the whole picture of you that that there is a reshaping of your life as you go to a simple picture of a circle your soul needs to to have a simplicity to it that 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 everything behind what you do, what's motivating what you do, is a simple picture of love God and love others. That's it. That's what we're about. That's what we need to be about. That's what we're designed to be about as people. That, That you have soul in everything that you do. What's the soul of your family? What's the soul of your work? What's the soul of your creative life? What's the soul of your thought life? What's the soul of, of, your, of your cooking? I love this. Uh, I love the, those, those places that, that say, we serve only soul food. You ever see that? You know, just a sense of comfort, right? It's, just, it, it's got soul to it. Why? Because, because psyche also, and, and another word and for, for, for understanding this picture of the circle, is just breath. What's the inspiration to everything that you're doing? you know, sometimes we 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 lose the why, the simple why to what we do. We lose that sense of why we're doing what we're doing. I remember when I was a you know high schooler. I remember when I was in high school and I, I, I started to identify myself as a soccer player. All right, so I I wanted to be known as a soccer player. I wanted to be a great soccer player, and uh, I wanted to. To, to walk around campus as a soccer player, right? Wow, that's a great vision for life, right there. And <laughs> sarcasm. That was sarcasm, okay? And 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 so then, uh, I, so I went to Duke soccer camp, and I, I was I was going to be a soccer star that next year. And uh, and I went to Duke soccer camp, and in the last ten minutes of the last championship game, uh, we were tied up, and 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 it was like. Like two minutes left and this guy tried to get by me and I was the last man back and uh and I I darted back to catch him and he stopped and I tried to stop quickly and I blew my knee out and I ruptured my ACL and I was out for the season. I was in a brace for about five months. And I sat and I stood on the sideline. And I remember thinking, I'm not you know this this is this is different. This for me to be on the sideline watching and cheering on my team and being a spectator. Who am I apart from being out there on the field? It was a very very important season of my life to be able to answer that question. It, it, it I, I read recently a story of a a woman who worked on on one of those uh, networks that, that are dubbed as sort of Christian programming or Christian entertainment. Uh, I'll share my opinion about that another time. I think I just did. But, but this is a woman who, whose hair had its own personality. and she, she, she described it that way. I'm not cutting her down. She's, I'm telling you, this is, this is how she described herself. And, and she lost her way. She lost her why. And, and at a certain point, she said to, to all the people on that network, she said, I really need some time off. I, need to, I, I really have, have, am having a serious identity crisis about what this is all about. Why am I doing this? And they said, you know what? If you go and you spend time uh, and people get wind that, that you check yourself in to a place uh, where you're getting therapy, like, like you're saying you're going to do, you'll never work anywhere. You'll never have any kind of career or future in this business. Again, she said, I'm not going to have one if I keep going in the direction of going." And through that season of of reconnecting with with why she's doing what she's doing, here's a a lawyer who's come to Jesus, and and they're saying, what's what's the greatest? What's the first? What what stands in the front of the line as, as the great commandment? And what Jesus does is he's saying, Great commandment actually fills and, and, and founds everything that you do it 's not just first it's the foundation it 's not the first in line it's it's the it's the ground on which the line whatever the line is stands you, you, it, for those of you who are, are, are in the workplace and you started your career for a particular reason and and you wanted maybe you were a teacher and you wanted. You just wanted to, for, for kids to have that aha moment. And somewhere along the line, you know, it became about something else. And you've lost your why. For those of you who maybe maybe you do practice law, like like this lawyer approaching Jesus and and, and, and for you, it was about justice, and, and there was a sense of why, and there was a sense of putting the the world to rights. And 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 somewhere along the line it, it, it became about billable hours, right? And you've lost and and you've confused the results of your work with the purpose and the why, the simple why of your work. Spending time with God, understanding your center, begins to help you see the circumference as a simple why. Love God, love others. We need to have a simple why that reshapes our lives. In everything we're doing. Not that God, we, you know, people used to say this, and I remember in college, <coughs> people would say, you know, we need to put God first. And I, I always wondered, what does that mean? I don't know what it means to put God first. I know what the Bible is saying. What the Bible is saying is God is at the center. And God, God recenters your identity. I know what the Bible says about <coughs> the soul, that, that the soul is the circumference of your life. And there needs to be some simplicity to what motivates you and what brings meaning. To your life. Your simple why. This idea of of a simple why is powerful. Um, A fellow named Senef. uh, Has written a book called Start With Why. And he talks about Apple Computer. And he talks about the Wright Brothers. And he talks about Martin Luther King Jr. And how what sets them apart. Is that they don't just have a what on the outside. They don't just have a how. They have at the center. They have a sense of why. They're motivated. They understand why. Now, as I've been talking, as I've been talking about this idea of being reshaped around this simple why of love God and love others, perhaps you're beginning to, to sense coming to the surface a disconnect between what we talk about on Sunday and what the rest of the life of your life looks like. And so, let's consider in the, j- just these closing minutes. Let's let's consider what it looks like to to have. A godly what's next. We've talked, about, uh, we've talked about the recentering on who. We've talked about the reshaping of a simple why of your soul, heart, and soul. Now, Jesus also talks about this idea of your mind. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What's that all about? Well, your mind is. Is the center of your will, your volition. It's 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 the decision making. It's it's what puts you into action. It's what helps you make choices and and set priorities. To say yes, to say no, to understand what your yeses are and what your noes are. And so your mind, you say, well, gosh, you know, when you, when you talk about the heart and you talk about the soul, what's left? I mean, you've just covered everything. If the psyche is is everything, then then why does Jesus come back and say, uh, love God also with all your mind? Well, it's because after you identified your who, and after you understand the reshaping power of why, you still need to be involved. Prayer life is not passive. Prayer life is an active engagement with God and sometimes it's very, very difficult and takes a powerful act of the will to sit there in silence before God. It can be maybe the most most difficult part of your day. Just to sit there. As Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 5, guard your steps as you draw near to God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. And so it takes a powerful will to be able to be silent before God and to spend time before God. Or even to to sit there and quietly in the morning pray the Lord's Prayer. Or even perhaps this year for 2017 your goal is, is to own a psalm. What I mean by own it is you 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 spend time you read it every day and and you read parts of it and and maybe you memorize it or maybe you look at one word in it or maybe you think about what does it really how does it really strike you what's the mood of it and what's the purpose and power of it in your life and and throughout 2017 one psalm begins to center your prayer life why is this so important because We're called to love God with all our mind. And that means our will needs to be bent upon His will. How is it that our will can be bent upon His will if we don't spend time getting to know Him? If we don't spend time allowing His word to shape our thoughts. Let me tell you why this is so important. The big lie of today. The great, big, whopping lie. Is that authenticity, your best life now, yes, I'm being critical, is shaped by you. There's a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of crazy messages that are not biblical out there. And some of them parade around in Christian clothes. Expressive individualism is in stark contrast and competition with the biblical message. And expressive individualism is a term that uh, that a group of sociologists at Emory put on this idea that we create ourselves, that we are born tabula rasa, like a blank slate, and we are the creative energy, we are the creators of ourselves. And that in order for us to have an authentic life and to be authentic people, we have to follow just our own will. We have to shape our own lives and we have to individually uh, lay claim to our own priorities rather than have anything speak to us from the outside. And, and it sets up the idea that somehow God's will and God's word and, and, and the principles that are biblical are somehow in competition with what it means to be an authentic, uh, a fulfilled human being. It's a powerful influence on, our, on us right now because it's the waters we're swimming in. It's the air we're breathing in. It's the assumptions that, that are behind, it's the premise behind so many assumptions that, that, that we're hearing in the media and that we're reading in books. that are being harmed. But... Here's what Scripture says. Psalm 119, verse 45. I shall walk about at liberty, for I have sought your precepts. I shall walk at liberty, for I have sought your precepts. When you consider what prayer looks like in your life just to spend time with God and you think about, how do I shape, how do I take next step, what is next for me? A growing relationship with God releases you to do what you want. As C.S. Lewis says, love God and do what you want. Don't forget the first part, (laughs) right? (laughs) Love God and do what you want. It's that simple. The more that we love God, the more that we are going to have an active will that is bent upon His will. That's it. That's the simple message. God is at the center. God is our circumference. And all through the circle of your life... Your mind needs to be increasingly shaped around the will of God. So that your desires, so that your life's energy and life's inspiration, so that your decisions line up with His very best for you. It's not a competition with your best life now or your authentic voice. It does bring you into possibility and purpose that he has for you to live fulfilled. You know, part of the, the inception and the problem of, of living and swimming in waters where there is a set of assumptions in direct contrast to scripture is that we can't see it. We don't even really recognize it. And so it's important for us to understand why is it that, that our culture has a set of assumptions that aren't necessarily biblical. And one of them goes back to the Enlightenment. It goes back to the Enlightenment. You know, Jefferson, I I love so many things about Jefferson, and the more I learn about him, the more I like him. But there was something a little off in his presuppositions, some of the things that he assumed. Jefferson said, I am an Epicurean. I wonder if, if, if our culture would be a little different if Jefferson hadn't spent so much time in France, all right? I mean, they, they're, they're cooking and all that. I mean, it's just amazing. There are Epicureans over there. But, but here's, the, here's the thing about Epicureans. Epicureans believe that God never had anything to do with creation. That, that, that maybe he sparked it, but that it put itself together on its own. And so there's this deep disconnect between God's will and man's will. God's design and man's flourishing. God's presence, and man's lifestyle. There's, there's this deep disconnect. And often that's what we buy into because that's the story, that's the narrative that we keep hearing over and over again throughout the week. That That if you want to have faith that you just keep it in a private compartment and that you just deal with it in those rooms that you build, those buildings that you build on the corner on Sunday morning. You Just keep it there. Keep it tucked away. Keep it private. Keep it on, uh, on that hour or half hour or whatever time you spend in the morning. But don't let it leak into your public life. Well, that's just a bunch of hogwash because either you have meaning or you don't and you can't invent it. It's either there and God is, is real and he's real in your life and he's purposed your life or you've got nothing And so this idea of of trying to just have a private faith that has nothing to do with the rest of your life, that doesn't drive why you do what you do, that doesn't shape who you are, that doesn't even guide your thoughts, is complete nonsense. And if you wonder why sometimes you look at the the, the what's of your life and you wonder, what really is meaningful and what if one of those things was pulled away, what would I have left? then you're beginning to ask a good question. What is really the foundation of your life? What's the center? What's the circumference? And what are you spending your mind your thought life on? You know, I, I quote, I often quote people who lived through World War II because, uh, because what happened in World War II is everything, all pretense, is stripped away. And you, you can't get away with being an epicurean. When you live in Auschwitz. You have to recognize that there's meaning that must transcend all of our human philosophies. And so Viktor Frankl helps uh, wrap this up for us this morning. Viktor Frankl lived uh, through, through Dachau and through Auschwitz. And after uh, he had been uh, released from that, he said this. He said, then I grasped the meaning the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. I understood how a man who has nothing left in this world may know bliss, be it only for a brief moment in the contemplation of his beloved. In a position of utter desolation, when man cannot express himself in positive action when his only achievement may consist in enduring his sufferings in the right way and honorable way, in such a position, man can, through loving contemplation of the image he carries of his beloved, achieve fulfillment. For the first time in my life, I was able to understand the meaning of the words. The angels are lost in perpetual contemplation. Of an infinite glory. Your life is meaningful only when it's centered upon the right who. When it's driven by a simple why. And when even your thoughts and your volitional life and action. Begin to be reshaped and released, freed up. Not for all the desires that will leave you flat. But for God's best for your life.